0: Forty-five years ago, on Sunday, July 2, 1967, the Beatles' new album, Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band, topped the charts at number one. Anybody remember that album? Alright, I don't know whether to say shame on you or congratulations. Forty-five years ago, on Sunday, July 2, 1967, Jim Fragosi and the California Angels beat Mickey Mantle and the Bronx Bombers 6-4 in front of 39,000 at Anaheim Stadium. 45 years ago on Sunday, July 2, 1967, a woman named Catherine Lacoste won the U.S. Women's Open Golf Tournament. It was a historic win as she was not only the youngest player to win the tournament at just 22 years of age, not only was she the first foreign-born winner, being from France, Paris, France, but she was also the first and only amateur to ever win this classic golf tournament, Catherine Lacoste. Forty-five years ago, on Sunday, July 2, 1967, Disneyland opened their newest attraction, the People Mover. Anyone remember that? Sunday, July 2, 1967, tomorrow, that is, seating four guests per car and four red, blue, yellow and green cars per train. The people mover was hailed by many as a new transportation solution over and against the automobile to relieve traffic in major metropolitan cities. And of course, we're all using the people mover today. So their predictions were quite correct. Forty five years ago. There were also some sad moments. 45 years ago, in July 2, 1967, in the Quang Tri Province of South Vietnam, the United States Marine Corps suffered their worst single day of casualties in the Vietnam War, as the 1st Battalion, 9th Marines lost 118 men and 190 wounded in in, in a battle that would earn them the nickname "The Walking Dead." The Walking Dead. That battalion still exists to this day. And on 45 years ago, on Sunday, July 2, 1967, the headline on the Long Beach Independent Press Telegram newspaper spoke of conflict in the Middle East and high taxes in California. It seems not much has changed in 45 years. And by the way, if you notice on the right, that's Reagan drops the tax cuts. For all you Reaganites out there, uh, that's was, that was a bad day for Ronald Reagan, I guess, huh? 45 years ago, on Sunday, July 2, 1967, 24 adults and seven children gathered for a Bible study at the San Juan Capistrano Ranch home of retired Air Force Colonel Ridgely Ryan. They gathered together because they were frustrated by a lack of good Bible teaching in the area. Little did they know they were a part of the start of a group of Christians who would come to be known as Coast Bible Church. The group would officially incorporate in May of 1968, and they began devoting over 10% of their annual budget in support of nearly two dozen missionaries. Experiencing tremendous growth and excitement, the church leaders commissioned Deacon Al Eaton to find land upon which to build a church in 1970, Al was commissioned. And the church purchased that land, upon which we sit for $80,000, land that was once nothing but orange groves. Five years later, in 1975, construction began on a new property. And on May 9, 1976, renowned Bible teacher and friend of Colonel Ryan, Dr. J. Vernon McGee, preached at the church dedication ceremony, the sanctuary dedication ceremony the church would go on to celebrate many early anniversaries with a Kentucky Fried Chicken lunch on the lawn outside the sanctuary. Do you know what we're eating today? Kentucky Fried Chicken. In 1984, a young redhead named Arch Rutherford came to Coast Bible Church with his lovely wife Carolyn and two kids, Amy and Craig. Arch would faithfully preach and teach the Word for 22 years. During his tenure... The church began a partnership with Stony Brook Christian School in 1985. And in the mid-90s, they expanded the facility to include two new educational wings designed by Deacon Glenn Eichler. I've heard of that guy. And now, uh, here we are today. A few other last shots here. This is, the next one is in 2006 with Pastor Arch, Pastor Ryan, and myself. And finally, uh, Easter Sunday, 2012, our sunrise service. A beautiful shot. Many, many gathered as Coast, the ministry of Coast Bible Church continues 45 years later. Some things have changed. But not much has changed. Our logo has changed a bit. You'll notice a, a few changes in the logo. But each one carries a cross, symbolizing our unashamed declaration that Jesus Christ is Lord. Our people have changed a bit, but we're still a church that emphasizes the family with strong children and youth programs. Our missionaries and our missions efforts have changed a bit, but we're still a church that devotes well over 10% of our annual budget to missions. Our pastors and leaders have changed a bit, but we're still teaching the whole counsel of God and of eternal salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. God has been good, amen. 45 years of church ministry is a rarity, especially in South Orange County. American church expert George Bullard estimates and note this on your outline there that 50% of churches, 50% of churches fail to reach their 7th anniversary. Their 7th anniversary. Well, we've made it past 7. But another stat by Mr. Bullard is somewhat alarming. He says that the average church will last about 40 to 50 years. That's how old we are. In other words, the generation that helps begin the church is often the generation that sees its end. There could be a variety of reasons for this. I mean, I think namely, it's that generation that begins a ministry, that begins an effort, that begins a new opportunity, a new church. They're so on fire. And there's such excitement. And there's such vision and hope and opportunity for the future that that generation, they hold on. And they hold on. And they hold on. And they come to the end. And some churches, they fail to let go. They fail to empower the next generation of leaders. Thus, the churches die after one generation, 40 or 50 years of ministry. But churches that find a way to re- retool, revision, cast off opportunity and privilege and responsibility to generations younger than them, to generations that are coming up behind them, those seem to be the churches that the Lord blesses with longevity of life and ministry. As I consider, and as, been, as we've been thinking about as an elder board, and, and me personally in my uh, kind of just meditations and deliberations on what it takes to be a successful, healthy biblical church, I find that there seem to be four elements of biblical church life. Four elements of biblical church life. Write these down. Number one, vision. You must have vision. Number two, leadership. Number three, relationships. And number four, ministry. And these things are not put in in random order here by any stretch of the imagination. You must have vision as a church. If you don't know what your vision is, if you haven't heard from the Lord and heard from His Word and prepared yourself to do the work that He has called you to do, then you have no business being a church. But to have vision, it takes leaders. Godly leaders. Who will cast that vision. Who will hear from the Lord. And lead the church forward. And those leaders cannot just be distant or apart from the church. They can't be so separated from the church family. But they must be in relationship with the church. The church people and leaders and elders must work in cooperation with one another. Relationships are vital. Fellowship is required in order for a church to thrive. And it is only when that vision and that leadership and those relationships are coalescing together that true and vibrant ministry can take place. There are, you might say, five stages of a church's existence. I want to walk through these with you at this time. You can maybe take a few notes, if you will. The first stage is infancy, or the formative stage. And this is the period in which God brings together those key leaders who cultivate those vibrant relationships. You think back to the time when Pastor Ridge and Margo were beginning a Bible study in their ranch home. It was the relationships. It was the friendships that they had cultivated. It was the people that they had gotten to know, which first drew that group together, and they started asking questions. Well, where do you go to church? Well, I'm having trouble. Where do you go to church? I, I you know, I'm not hearing the Bible taught over here. And this group, this relationship between a leader in Pastor Ridge and uh, many others who helped form that initial board, and the relationships of the people, they coalesced and began to meet together and considered what it might look like to be a church. That leads into maybe what you might call an adolescent stage, where the vision of the church begins to form. It's no longer just a group of people meeting together, but there is an official recognition that we want to move forward. We want to cast a vision. We want to set a goal. We want to set a mission in place. And ministry efforts begin to take shape. Slowly but surely, the group is no longer just a group of friends who are meeting together for the purpose of building one another up in the Word, but now they've become a church. And they're beginning to realize that they can take, they can make an impact in the community at large. That excitement, that hope, that energy that comes in that stage breeds what we might call a prime adulthood stage for a church. A church with clear vision, Godly leaders and harmony in relationships, that's an environment where ministry thrives. Where there's clear vision communicated by godly and strong leaders. Where there's harmony among the church family. Harmony in relationships. That's an environment where ministry thrives and we find that sweet spot of a church family's existence. But inevitably that sweet spot is hard to maintain. In fact, most uh, church life experts would would venture to say that that sweet spot of ministry usually only lasts three to five years and then it leads into a different sort of stage. We might call it the early aging stage, where the relationships are still strong and ministry continues, just kind of carries on, but the vision of the leaders grows dim. The vision. Why are we doing this? Why are we gathering together? Why are we reaching out again? That vision communicated by the leaders starts to grow dim. And they they're, they're enter into the life of the church distractions and things that, that take our eyes off the prize. If we don't watch out, a church that continues in an early aging stage will end up in a late aging or a dying stage in which the vision is very unclear. Ministry becomes monotonous. Relationships begin to fade and leaders start to blame. The goal of a community of Christians who meet together in a local church is to find a way to remain in that prime adult stage where the vision is clear, where the leaders are godly and strong, where the people of the church are in healthy, loving, vibrant relationship with one another, and where ministry and outreach becomes pouring and flowing out of what God has done in the life of the people. But as many pastors... And many parishioners alike are well aware such a stage of ministry is rare to find and even harder to maintain. As I said, most experts who who study churches and who study local bodies of believers say that the most you can get out of a stage like that is about three to five years and then you'll coalesce into a different kind of stage in the life of the church. That's just uh, sociologically speaking. Were we to analyze the history of Coast, I think it could be reasonably said that we have reached the prime stage of ministry, the prime adulthood stage of church life, only twice in the church's 45 years. Now, you might disagree with me over dates and, and times, and we could uh, go back and forth And looking at the history of the church, but I've studied the history of the church quite extensively, and I've identified two periods in the life of the church where the church was in that sweet spot, where the church was in that prime adulthood stage. The first was in the late 1970s. From 1976 to 1979, Colonel Ridge Ryan and the church had built the sanctuary, There was great enthusiasm and excitement in the air. The Lord was working mightily. The church had a brand new building, a brand new opportunity for outreach. Ministry was thriving. Relationships were strong. The vision of the leaders was clear in the late 1970s of the church. Pastor Ridge would go on to resign in uh, uh, 1980. And as he resigned, the church entered into that early aging kind of phase. There was a period of, of uh, discontent. There was a pastor brought on and then an interim pastor and, and things didn't quite coalesce. They didn't quite mesh together. I spoke, I've spoken at length with Al Eaton before about the early 1980s. It was a difficult time in the life of Coast Bible Church. And then came along a, a, another young pastor named Arch Rutherford and he had to really, he had to go back. Into that adolescent stage. He had to take the church back and retool the vision. Bring it back up. Revitalize the church. Start fresh again. Here's the interesting thing. You see, in human, in human experience, we can't reverse aging. We go from zero all the way to the grave. And we keep getting older. We keep getting grayer. We keep, life, life keeps getting shorter for us. Not so with the church. A church can and does often recreate, revitalize, renew itself, take itself from a stage of older age to a stage of revitalization and growth again. And Pastor Arch, in the mid-1980s and late-1980s, began that adolescent stage again with the church, which led, in the early 1990s, to once again a sweet spot of ministry. From about 1991 to 1995, there was a wonderful spirit about the church. The the, the Word was being preached. Ministry was taking place. The people were focused on the work of the Lord. But as with any prime sweet spot stage, it only lasts for a few years. And that lended itself to, again, a time of maybe early aging. And there were, there, were, there were moments as well where, where things were tough in the life of Coast Bible Church. As I mentioned, speaking with Al about the early 1980s, some people were getting really uh, worried about the future of the church in the early 1980s. The same could be said in the mid-2000s, looking back over the history of the church. There were periods in the church by about 2005, 2006, where I know many were concerned about the future of the church. And I think that we have been in these last some 15 years, wavering somewhere in that early aging stage, trying to find a way out. We've seen glimpses, glimpses, of that sweet spot of ministry over the past 15 years. But we haven't hit our stride like the church did in the late 1970s and the early 1990s. But the good news is, churches, unlike humans, can reverse the effects of aging. We have proven it many times over as a church. And besides, let, let us be very clear, these stages, the stages of even early aging and even late aging, are not bad in and of themselves. You see, the Bible says in Romans 5, 3 and 4, chapter 5, verse 3 and 4, what do hardships produce? What do they produce? Perseverance. Hardships. Tribulations. They produce perseverance, which produces character, which produces hope. In other words, a church can't continue forward without experiencing some aging, without going through some hardships, without going through some difficulties. How could we persevere? How can we develop character? How can we develop hope without going through periods like that? We would not be who we are without moments of difficulty and tribulation. Thank God for the times of trial, for when we are weak, He is strong. I think it is safe to say, however, that the church is and has been for a period of time with glimpses of hope in that early aging stage. And the question becomes, what should we do about it? Well, looking back on the definition of an early aging stage of the church, we see that relationships remain strong. Is that true of Coast Bible Church? Yeah, it is. I know of the love of the people of this church. Relationships are strong. Ministry continues in the early aging stage. Has ministry gone on? Have we continued forward in the work of the ministry with our children, with our youth, with missions? Has ministry gone forward? Yeah, it has. What is missing? What is missing? And what the elders uh, spent much of their time together last spring considering is that the vision of the leaders has grown dim. Solomon wrote in the book of Proverbs, chapter twenty-nine, verse eighteen, in the old King James Version, Where there is no vision, the people perish. Where there is no vision, the people Perish. And so, knowing full well that a new and fresh vision is needed to revitalize the life of the church, the elders and I went away last spring on a spiritual retreat to consider again God's purpose for the church. We studied a number of things and, and, and prayerfully considered a number of things. We looked at the early church in the book of Acts and asked, how can we become more like them? We looked at the teachings of Paul and Peter and John about the nature of the church and what the church is all about. We reviewed again the requirements and duties of an elder and pointedly asked ourselves, where are we strong as elders and leaders and where are we weak? And we identified a good long list of areas of weakness, particularly in the area of boldness and intentionality in speaking words of wisdom into the life and body of the church. And we analyzed the strengths and weaknesses of the seven churches in Revelation and compared them with our own church. It was a fantastic time together and extremely spiritually productive. And in the end, we prayerfully crafted a new vision statement for Coast Bible Church. A brand new vision statement for Coast Bible Church. One that was uh, intent, number one, intent on bringing all glory and honor to the Lord. One that was also faithful to God's original intent for the church, which is found in Acts 2.42. We, we set it together as a church family uh, this morning. It's our, it's our July memory verse. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, their preaching, their teaching, in fellowship, in the breaking of bread or worship, and prayer. We want to be focused on the original intent of the church. We want a vision statement, thirdly, that seeks to fulfill the great commandment and great commission of Jesus Christ. And finally, a statement that would be mindful of our own local church history, culture, and tradition. We don't want to uh, cast cast upon the church a foreign statement, one that has no meaning given the history and tradition and culture in, in which we live and in which we've grown up as a church. A new vision statement for Coast Bible Church, one that will renew again the reason why we gather together, why we do what we do on Sunday, on Wednesday, and throughout the week, why we go out for ministry and for missions work around the world. And here it is. The vision statement that the elders crafted last spring. We want to share it with you now. Coast Bible Church exists to preach the truth of God's Word to prepare a loving, Spirit-led family and to proclaim the saving grace of Jesus Christ. I want to spend just a few moments on this statement. First, I want to point out uh, a few things. Uh, Number one, and, and most importantly, it has to have alliteration. I mean, look at these P's right here, guys. Preach, prepare, proclaim... I mean, how witty were these elders? We love we love those P's there. Three P's. Preach, prepare, proclaim. It's easy to remember. Now, more importantly here, notice the priority of this statement. The priority of God and His Word. It's to preach the truth of God's Word. It's all about Him. Amen? It's all about Him. We don't preach worldly philosophy. We don't subscribe to anything else but to God and His Word. And so here at Coast Bible Church, if there's ever been a a, a hallmark of the church, it's already embedded in the name, Coast Bible Church. We are a church that puts a priority on the Lord God and upon His written Word. We are to preach the truth of God's Word. It is a primary vision, a primary purpose, of our church's existence. Secondly, we are to prepare a loving, Spirit-filled family. Notice, the great commandment is embedded here. Jesus uh, said that we should love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength and to love our neighbor as ourself. To lo- prepare a loving family. We must have love. If all we have is the truth of God's Word and we don't have love, Paul says we're going to be nothing but a clanging symbol. In my younger days, I would always suppose that uh, it was my academic study of the Word that would convince people to become Christians. In my early days at Biola and Talbot, uh, and many of the young men with me, and, and I think many uh, young men across seminaries and Bible schools all across the world would say that they, they thought and they supposed that through their studies that they could, they, they could intellectually win people to Jesus Christ. I'm so unconvinced of that today. I find that it's needed. Don't get me wrong. Do we need an intellectual and robust communication of the Word of God? Yes. Do we need strong academic study of the Word? Do we need to consider it, uh, observe it, interpret it, apply it carefully, systematically, considering history, grammar, culture, and on and on? Yes, we need all of that. But if we have not love, we will be nothing but a clanging symbol. And I have been a clanging symbol in my younger days. Sometimes I can still be one. We must have love. We must prepare a loving Spirit filled, spirit led family. Thirdly, you'll notice that this statement is Trinitarian in its orientation a focus on God, a focus on Jesus, a focus on the Spirit. And that, uh, the third element there, the Spirit, the Spirit led right there, is a component that we wanted to emphasize here now at Coast Bible Church. Let's go ahead and underline Spirit led there. I think in the past, uh, it's, it's, it's very often the case for a very teaching oriented church, for a very word oriented church to miss out on a robust view of the role and purpose of the Holy Spirit in the life of a believer. We are a very much we have been historically and we still will be to this day on into the future, a Word-focused church. We are focused on God and His Word, but not to the exclusion of the ministry of the Holy Spirit of God. Amen? And it is the Word and the Spirit that coalesce to bring about transformation in our hearts. And so the elders wanted to communicate that not only will we be a Word-oriented church, we will be a Spirit-led oriented church. And that is not to suggest any kind of of Pentecostal or charismatic understanding of the role of the Holy Spirit. Not at all, but rather a biblical view of the Holy Spirit. One in which He works vibrantly in us, day in and day out, hour by hour, moment by moment. We must be a people who walk in the Spirit, not by the letter of the law. And so we want to refocus our hearts and minds on what it means To walk as Spirit led Christians. We also wanted this statement to be mindful of the history and the tradition of the church. Notice the words family and grace. The word family there, you'll notice, is in the singular. Many people uh, who have seen the statement ahead of time asked me, Do you mean the church family or do you mean individual families? And our answer to that is yes. First and foremost, we are a church family. But we are made up of distinct individual families. And so as we prepare a loving, Spirit-led family, we're preparing the whole church, but we're also empowering individual fathers, individual mothers, and the children to be a strong and vibrant family unit. Without the family, without the family, we would be lost. The Scriptures... The first story of of creation is built around the concept of a family with Adam and Eve. And so today, we continue that heritage of raising up a family, a family of God, made up of, of course, individual families within the church. And we're also a church that focuses on grace, the grace of Jesus Christ. How often have we said it, that salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, not of works, lest any man should boast. Grace is a hallmark of the church's history and tradition and, of course, a hallmark of the Lord Jesus Christ and of His Word. And finally, Coast Bible Church exists to proclaim that saving grace of Jesus Christ. Herein we find the Great Commission in which Jesus said, Go therefore and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all that I've commanded you. If we're not doing this, if we're not going out to proclaim the saving grace of Jesus, why are we even gathering? Because it is all, in the end, it is all about teaching others, men, women, children, young and old, that Jesus Christ is Lord and that by faith in Him, through His grace, we can become children of God and have a part in the everlasting kingdom of our Lord. Coast Bible Church exists to preach the truth of God's Word, to prepare a loving, Spirit-led family, to proclaim the saving grace of Jesus Christ. It is my hope and the hope of the elders. That everything we do as a church, everything we do as a church, becomes measured by this vision statement. That every ministry leader, whether you work in children's ministry, or whether you work with the coasters, or anything in between, that every ministry leader would look to this statement and ask themselves, is my respective ministry carrying out one of these objectives? And if it is not, then we must ask ourselves, why are we bothering? Why are we bothering? This vision statement is not Scripture, but it is based on the Bible. It is not inspired, but it is based on the inspired Word of God. And we believe it will be a helpful guide and tool for us as a church family to renew again why we do what we do. When people ask when people ask you and I what the church is about, let this statement serve as a helpful answer. I encourage you to memorize it I ask that you continually help me and the elders to refine our church's ministry efforts that they might be in harmony with this statement. And I intend to speak more this fall about some of the stated goals that we have underneath each of these vision statements. Uh, But for now, we'd like to simply meditate and consider and begin to memorize this statement in and of itself. And as we become more acquainted with it over the summer, We, like Bereans, comparing it with Scripture to see if, in fact, it accords with what the Lord would have a church do, we will then take this statement and identify specific goals under which the church can carry out the next many years of ministry. Above all, I ask that we call upon the Lord to emblazon this new vision in our hearts and minds that we might now, with renewed vision and purpose, call upon the Lord to return our church, our leaders, our people, and our ministry to a season of vibrant church life like never before. Coast, it's been 45 years and counting. In human terms, we would call that maybe over the hill. But if the Lord wills, and if His Son tarries... May we look back many more years from now and say with thanksgiving, we were only just beginning.